0: hello and welcome back to the james kennedy podcast how you doing i missed you i wasn't here last week i took a week off did you notice did anyone care i doubted very much but you know i was, i've been trying to be really good with these podcasts like getting one out every week and i've just been so crazy busy with other stuff man that i just wasn't able to get one out last week so apologies for that but i'm sure the world kept doing its thing despite my absence so what the hell have I been doing with my time I hear you scream? Well, check this out. Just two days ago, your man here was sat inside the walls of the House of Lords, giving evidence on behalf of the incredible Carry On Touring campaign about the difficulties facing um, UK creative industries wanting to tour in Europe post-Brexit. There was a bunch of us there. There was myself. There was Perry, the guitar player from Pendulum. There was the Musicians' Union. There was, of course, Tim and Ian, the amazing people behind the uh, the Carry On Touring campaign. Uh, Tim Brennan, of course, was on the podcast just a few episodes back. He, he was the guy that spearheaded this whole thing with the incredible petition that he set up, which garnered over 280,000 votes, uh, signatures, I should say, and um, got it debated in Parliament. And now, you know, I was part of the um, the entourage that went down there to give first-hand or second-hand evidence uh, it, 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 to the Lords and the MPs about the, the true realities of what it is like for touring parties and their crews to try and do their thing in Europe post-Brexit. So that was interesting, you know. We had to go in through um, like an airport type of thing, you know, where you go through a uh, like a, a metal a metal detector, and you got to put your uh, you know all your your wallet and all your bits in a in a tray, and then they scan that through, and then you go in. So there were there was there was about thirty of us. And we're all dressed in leather with big beards and long hair, and we're just like jamming up the entire entrance to the House of Lords, and you got all these like you know guys in suits trying to squeeze past, and the looks we were getting. They were just like, "Who the fuck are these guys <laughs> just coming into the House of Lords?" But it was cool, man. It went well, I think, you know, and, and, and like for for the the campaign to get it that far is a huge achievement on their behalf as well. So I was happy to play, you know, whatever small supporting role I could in the thing. Uh, I got to give my 10 cents, you know, where I kind of uh, fed back, you know, the issues uh, affecting my industry as a musician um, with regards to touring in Europe post-Brexit and it was fucking hilarious because I said that you know many of the bands that I know of are just straight out cancelling their tours and then I went on to elaborate um, you know about the, the issues surrounding the carne the ridiculousness of the carne situation which has been discussed on the podcast before the 90 day rule you know uh, where crew members have got to come back after three months before they can and they have to be home for another three months before they can go back out which obviously is you know terminal for their career as a full time professional crew member um, trying to do their thing in Europe so I was talking about all that and then I, I mentioned you know the um, the awesome and beloved Eddie Marsh, the bass player from the James Kennedy and the Underdogs extravaganza, uh, who is, as some of you may know, part of the Iron Maiden touring party. And I spoke to Ed a few weeks ago and he said that they'd had a bit of a nightmare on the European leg as well. So I talked about that as an example of how this affects all levels of the food chain. And Perry from Pendulum um, chimed in with uh, a comment about, you know, Bruce Dickinson from Maiden being such a strident supporter of Brexit that now it's interesting that he's getting his comeuppance, you know. And the lord, I was sat like right at the head of the table, man, who was really fucking freaky. And so I was sat pretty much right next to uh, the the main lord that was hosting the thing and he was scribbling everything down in shorthand um, and I, I was fascinated by this because it just looked like a mess on, on the page. But he, he didn't miss a trick, this dude, man. He, he was scribbling everything down because about an hour after Perry's comment, you know, when the conversation had gone elsewhere, he just randomly said, well, well, I'd like to get this Bruce Dickinson chap in for a chat to see what he's got to say for himself. <laughs> I was like, fucking hell, he wrote that down and remembered it. Yeah, he clearly got no clue who Bruce Dickinson is. And the idea of Bruce Dickinson from Maiden getting reprimanded by a bunch of, like, 80-year-old lords, it, it was just fucking hilarious. <laughs> But I thought they were quite cool, man, to be honest. They all seemed quite clued up on the issues. They all spoke quite passionate. I'm talking about the Lords now, you know, they all talk quite passionately uh, and quite knowledgeably about the issues affecting the industries, which was quite hopeful. Interesting to note though that there wasn't a single Tory MP. Or oh Lord, in the in, in the room at all in the audience, they, they, and, uh, given that they are, you know, the government Um that I think is going to be a bit of a roadblock to progress on this issue. But at the same time, you know, they were swearing in their new um their new dictator on Tuesday, weren't they? The lovely, I'm sure, Liz Truss, who is going to solve all of our energy problems within the next five days or something like that. So that's awesome. But it was an interesting experience, man. It's just one of the many bizarre and random and interesting things that you get to do when you're a musician, you know? So I just say yes to shit and turn up and see what happens. And it was fun. I met some cool people and it was, <laughs> you could tell we we're all musicians because the second the thing wrapped up. Yeah, you know, we all just whipped out our phones and started taking selfies. <laughs> like, I, there's no way I'm missing the opportunity to get a picture of myself sat in a house of lords. Fuck that. So we're all like, Hey man, can you take a picture of me? Yeah, man, can you take a picture of me? And he just <laughs> you know, it was like back in our natural habitat of taking selfies. And then, and then, and then the conversation immediately moved to where we all going to go for a pint, you know? but you know in all seriousness i think we did a service for the campaign uh, it's a lot further down the line now hopefully uh, now that it's actually got some traction inside parliament i mean i know these things take a long time and politics is messy and full of compromise and you know but um, i know and i know there are much bigger issues i suppose broad more broadly speaking but kevin brennan you know the main man was there uh, who was also on the podcast a couple of episodes back he's a major driving force in this so big up to kevin brennan uh, on behalf of all the musical community and all the crew members that were affected by this issue because he is you know he he, he is very eloquent passionate and articulate and very energetic and uh he he is really driving this hard from within inside parliament so we, so kevin if you're listening we thank you for that man right but today i know that most of you have clicked on the link to listen to this have clicked on it for one reason and one reason only you've clicked on it because you want to hear the mighty the awesome the brilliant the talented and the lovely mr frank turner Frank's coming. Hold your horses. He'll be here in just a bit, you know, but I mean, he's a busy dude. He's got to wrap up his previous interview and then he's going to squeeze us in before he's going to move straight on to another one. Now, for those of you that are hoping to hear about when Frank first discovered his love of music and what was the first record he ever heard and all that sort of stuff, I won't be asking him any of those questions. Sorry. You know, my podcast is not a promo platform and Frank doesn't need that anyway, you know, so I'm hoping to have a bit more of an interesting conversation with Frank and try and give him some questions that he hasn't already answered a million times before, which would be difficult because, you know, he's, he's done a lot. But I purposely don't get a lot of uh, musicians on the podcast because you know, no disrespect to the community that I'm a part of. Many of them, they live quite a one dimensional life, you know, and I, and I get that. It's all about the rock and roll and the music and not much else. Um, but you know, I'm more interested in talking to people that have got something we can either learn from or that can you know highlight a cause or a campaign or just people who are dead interesting and insightful about life or their stories or whatever. And Frank, I think, navigates quite a lot of that stuff. He's a uh, He's a very interesting guy who's done a hell of a lot, achieved a hell of a lot. He's experienced a lot of highs, a lot of lows. He's had a very interesting journey as a person and as an artist. And, you know, thankfully as well, he's also very articulate, well-spoken, and very outspoken. So I thought Frank would be a perfect person if we're going to get somebody from the music world to come on. I thought he would be somebody who could be much more interesting than someone who just come on and try and plug their latest record, you know? But by the way, Frank's latest <laughs> does have a, does have a new record, the number one in the album charts incredibly awesome FTHC, which I'm a massive fan of. So I'll try not to fanboy over that aspect of it too much, but uh, that's not the main reason why Frank is on today. I just thought Frank would be an interesting guest and hopefully we can have a chat um, that for you Frank Turner fans out there listening, um, will be something different, to see a different side of Frank. So I'm just looking at the clock here and Frank is due to join us any second now. So stay right where you are. And in the meantime, I'm going to nag you again. Have you subscribed to the podcast? It's a click of a button, man. Come on, help a brother out here. Have you subscribed to the podcast? If you haven't, what better reason and what better time to do it than to do it now? So Get on it. Smash that star ratings button. Give me some stars, man. Come on, is that too much to ask? And of course, please do spread the word about the podcast. You know, we're getting interesting dudes on every week and we'll continue to do so as long as there's interest in us doing that. So, so help us get this word out there and help support the podcast and, uh, you know, help keep us afloat so that we can keep giving you the good stuff. And now the moment you've been waiting for. Frank Turner is a man who needs no introduction and is one of the hardest working people in the business and one of the finest songwriters and lyricists of our time. He's only just recently gotten back from completing a gargantuan tour of the US, 50 states in 50 days, and his latest album, The Awesome FTHC, recently peaked at number one on the UK album chart. We've got a lot to get into and not a lot of time to do it. So without further ado, Mr. Frank Turner, how are you, sir? Uh,
1: I'm very well, thank you. What a lovely intro that made me feel accomplished.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what well, accomplished you are number 1 how does that feel well, man, man. I have number 1
1: record <laughs> yeah I- it, it, it's good. It's a slightly mixed feeling for me simply because as a kid, my whole sort of identity was that I was the kind of kid who didn't care about the charts, and yes. what was in the charts. Same. And then as an adult, to then sort of get the number one in the charts, it's, it's I mean, the point is, it's awesome. Um, But there's a little 16 year old me in the middle wagging her finger somewhere. You um, sold out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I know. But that, the thing is, ultimately, that guy was an idiot. So let's just move yes. on. Um, it's, it feels it feels great.
0: Thank 100%. You. And, dude, I mean, what a record as well. I mean, I'll, I'll be plugging this shit Thank out. Of the record later on, but I mean, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> honestly, I love it. And um, to what an
1: achiever!
0: But you are a busy right. mofo, as I, just, as I just said in the intro. I mean, you've just gone back from 50 states in 50 days. You've been a busy mofo for yes. a long time. You're, you're an unstoppable force. I mean, what, what, uh, for me, I'm interested in what's driving that. I mean, I, I couldn't keep up, man. I don't know how the hell you've been able to do this for so long, so consistently at such a high quality, constantly on the move with such a high level of, of <laughs> creative output. What's driving this? Is it pure creative passion and endeavor, or is it something else, do you think?
1: I mean it's it's I mean first of all it's a slightly difficult question for me to answer because I'm sat in the middle of this <laughs> this uh um Tasmanian devil tornado um uh, but like it's it, you know I kind of uh, I mean, I, I grew up idolizing bands like Black Flag and there was very much a kind of, there, there's an interesting and unpackable crossover between the Puritan work ethic and hardcore punk, I think. But anyway, uh, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but you know, the idea of touring a lot and touring hard, um, and all that kind of thing was always really appealing to me. And, um, I, I've sort of, in a way that's, unoriginal but i'm slightly sort of i've always been slightly haunted by mortality in a sense of like limited time and this kind of thing and right. so it's like get on with it mm. you know um i can no longer be an archaeologist and a paleontologist and an astronaut and a <laughs> you know, do you know what i mean the, my options limit so i pick yeah. this one do it well Love um it. but i mean ultimately i suspect that like it's just a. um like i've got two sisters and they're both equally driven in their fields right. you know um one of, one of my sisters is in the green party one of them's in, in the army wow. <laughs> i mean and like i think my mum slightly wonders what it was she was kind of drinking <laughs> um uh, if you see what i mean uh so i mean this, this is definitely like that we have quite a sort of we're quite a kind of um driven family should we right.
0: say okay so there's nothing more sinister driving this you don't think it doesn't seem like that when i look at you it seems like this is just <laughs> I something i don't that, think so this is just in your blood like i'm getting and it sounds as if it's in the I, family uh,
1: yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I can psychoanalyze to a degree And like, you know, I, I was pretty angry about quite a lot of my uh, childhood and my my education and that kind of thing. And and there's a certain degree. I think like most people involved in punk rock, there's a little kind of burning coal of fury. Yes. Um. Uh. Somewhere in the middle of this chest, but like, I mean, yeah, it's it's difficult for me to answer the question. But um, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, hopefully it's a it's a constructive drive rather than a destructive one.
0: I well, it was certainly constructive for us because it gives us all this great music. So even if there is something painful <laughs> within you triggering it, you know that it's, it's it's to our benefit. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. Uh, do you. So do you even manage to have a work life balance at this point? How do you manage to straddle that?
1: <laughs> That's the thing actually that I've consciously worked on for the last few years, and it's funny because like I, I had I mean, pandemic aside, I have was actually in the middle of just easing off the gas a little bit um, and in a way that perhaps not everybody has noticed because we're quite good at sort of spreading things out and announcing enormous tour dates in one go. Right. And therefore people miss the gaps. But like, you know, we used to do two plus shows a year. It's not that intense anymore. And, uh, you know, I got married, I have a home life, I have a cat. Oh, nice. Um, lots of people in my band and crew have kids now, you know, and ultimately I do want to do this for the rest of my life. And I've sort of old enough now to understand that it's a marathon, and not a sprint, right? And you know, um, I turned forty, and believe me, there are things you can do when you're in your twenties that you can't do in your forties, yeah. um, and uh, just physically. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it, there's definitely been a sense of of, of um, trying to sort of be realistic about that. Also, there's definitely there was a moment in my life when I was kind of engaged in an arms race with myself to be the hardest touring. Well, Sob in the world, yes. kind of thing, and um and, and I sort of realized after a while that first of all nobody else was taking part in this race, um, and secondly, <laughs> I, like no one else really cared, um, and it was it was quite quite destructive for my own kind of mental health, and and indeed it makes you just it makes you quite sort of one dimensional as a person if you only do one thing all True. the time, yeah. and like you know I'm, I'm I'm lucky that I started this idea of trying to build a kind of a hinterland for myself outside of touring before the pandemic hit, because then it meant that I didn't completely Go off the deep end once. Once my job got made illegal, right? Yes, um, <laughs> yeah. For eighteen months, um, so you know, it's. Uh, I, I've been very fortunate in that. Uh, so, so yeah, there's definitely been a sense of trying to sort of like do things in a slightly more controlled fashion going forward. I
0: think that's one of the hardest things um, to achieve in in our line of work. Uh, so it's, ama- it's, it's amazing that you've managed to do that because I, I was speaking to the uh, the lovely Ian Winwood when he was on the podcast a couple mm. of months ago about his amazing book Bodies, which I'm sure you've read as well, uh, where he talks about yeah. all of the negative sides of uh, this business and the hole that you can well there's several many holes that you can fall down to in this business sure. and uh, i actually met him um about a month or so ago in london for a bit of food and uh, we were chatting and i said yes yeah, so um, you know who, who if you could name an artist that you think has got it about right then that manages to avoid the trappings of the music monster while still managing to be uh, creatively authentic and um active and successful as well who would you say is managing to pull that off and he said you so, I mean, what is oh, the um, what's the secret then? That's very kind of him.
1: Uh, I mean, well, the first thing to say is that I spent a fair amount of time d- d- jumping gleefully into some of those holes, um, uh, and indeed, uh, I think uh, Ian. wouldn't My this It's uh, at times with Ian. Um, we both. One of our friendship is in many ways based on the fact that we both came through certain kind of addictive issues yes. at a similar time. Um, uh, I, I think that he had. A more difficult time than I did but regardless um uh but so I mean I think at this point I mean it's partly through the fact that I just occupy a weird place in the music industry um you know when I started out with my solo career it was kind of interesting because there were quite a few people who I was sort of playing kind of nambuka and squat gigs at this bar East, hang out, who got signed to enormous labels and had a gigantic the stratospheric kind of spaceship taking off yes. kind of start of a career and I totally didn't. I put out my first record and played to 200 people and sort of went hooray um, and you know and like essentially a lot of my friends' careers just went bang right at the beginning and a fair few of them then have crashed back yes. as often happens in the music industry. Yeah. Some of them um, I mean JBT is still riding high and so he should because he's one of the greatest songwriters in the country in my opinion but um, uh, you know my, my ascent such as it was was much slower um, and I, I kind of crested on like Album five, do you know what I mean? Right. Rather than album one, yeah. and that's unusual. Um, uh, and there were times when I was pretty frustrated about this. In retrospect, I'm pretty glad about it because I think that it meant that I sort of managed to build a sort of longer lasting structure for yes. what I do. Yeah. In um, in terms of fan base and in terms of my own kind of a regard for it, like I wasn't. It was harder for me to be quite so swept off my feet by the, the trappings of success, given that it took me a long bloody time to get. <laughs> um, and he was just slightly more realistic about it. I was slightly older when it, when, I, when I did get to the point of, you know, headlining an arena. Like, I wasn't 23. Right. I was 31. You know, yeah. and there was a difference there. Um, and so all of this just sort of meant that I was able to kind of be slightly more arm's length about the industry generally, and like what you know, when it comes to America, like an awful lot of British bands go to America and they play Chicago and New York and LA, and then they come home and they go, "Well, we didn't crack America." And it's like, eh. and I got in a van and played every state round and round and round and again and again right. and again for fifteen years. Wow! And now, now I have a career in America, but it's like that. That goes back to the thing about growing up listening to Black Flag. That's all I ever wanted to do yes. as a kid was <laughs> get in a van and drive around America. But um, uh, so you know, I just I don't have the traditional music industry career and I never really did um, and it means that there's a more kind of sense of stability in what I do hopefully more a sense of realism and yeah now at a point nine albums in there's no cliches around where I stand do you know what I mean there's no there's no cliche about the difficult ninth album um, Yeah, yeah. No, like, <laughs> if you get to make a ninth album and you're still people are still interested and you're still selling records and tickets and all the rest of it you're kind of home free because yes, what what, what criticism is someone going to level at me I mean you, people can say I don't like what you do that's totally fine that's, yeah. of course whatever yeah. but they can't say it's completely without merit yes. or without value because it self-evidently isn't it can't be at this point and there's a sort of security in that which enables you to be kind of free in a funny way
0: and you've got an incredible fan base as well your audience man it's, it's, it borders on worship and rightfully so because I mean you know you've spoken it, throughout, throughout your amazing back catalogue now throughout your songs you've, you've spoken honestly about so many different parts of the human condition that so many different people can relate to um, and I meet people all the time it, you just come up in conversation you know you start talking about music and people are like oh I've got a Frank Turner tattoo and it's like and they're fucking you know that you've got an amazing loyal fan base sure. and, I, and I think that's testament to like you say you've built that up from doing it in a van playing to 12 people the 200 people to 2000 people and you and you've just been consistently playing and just getting out there and doing your thing sure. authentically and you've built sure. that up so that so it's not that overnight promo extravaganza situation you know
1: yeah totally i mean it also ha- i've sort of long had a philosophical issue with the idea of kind of almost like class stratification of music like the thing that appealed to me about punk rock was the idea that performers and audience come from the same pool like it's, it's we, we are a, it's community a community having conversation yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like the idea that you know musicians are a separate caste to uh to punters is just sort of idiotic to me it doesn't make any sense yeah. um and uh obviously you know i in my early shows i sold my merch i just hang out to show all the rest of it you can't do that when you're playing wembley arena it's just yeah. it's just yeah. idiotic it's not possible yeah but there is a sort of from an awful lot of people who are into my music there it has been a philosophical gesture there in the early days which hopefully establishes all that and also like i mean just little things like my email address is still on my website so People, people can say hi. Well, yeah. Well, um, I, I
0: emailed you, you, and you got back personally. I was like, oh, that doesn't happen often, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, but you know who else does that? Henry Rollins. Um, and and he's and still does. I might yes, add. So co- um, I can confirm that he does. Yeah. So you know. So I mean, there's an obvious kind of lineage there.
0: Well, it's interesting you mentioned punk because um, if I look at your back catalogue, there's there's a lot of different genres there. I mean, the, the new album's got mm. some heavy shit on there. It's great to see that coming back. And obviously, you know, A Million Dead as well was a very heavy band. Um, sure. But I think if I look through some of the more popular records and, you know, the more acoustic folk tinge stuff, I still feel the punk aesthetic there. I think that's the through <laughs> line. I can just feel that through everything you do. Yeah. And it's interesting because for me, I don't think punk is, is is about a genre. I think punk is about an ethos. And I'd be interested to know what sure. punk... Punk is to you. Do you see
1: it that way? Well, I, I do. I mean, I should preface this by saying that if humanity collectively could take all the time that people have spent arguing about what punk is and isn't and direct it towards something like curing cancer, <laughs> that would be a better use of everybody's time. 100. Um, yeah. Because ulti- ultimately, who cares, right? Like yeah. what punk is or isn't, and like my wife, who is a. A proper old school folkie, and didn't really have any interaction with punk rock until we met. Regards to this whole debate with a detached sort of <laughs> perplexity, she's just like, it's Who cares? Just boys, yeah, 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 it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. boys right. arguing," and and she's a hundred percent right about that. So with that bit of throat clearing out of the way. I mean, you know, punk was hugely important to me as a kid because I felt very, very alienated when I was growing up and and kind of pissed off and and um, like I didn't fit and all this kind of thing. And then I discovered, you know, the rage of the pistols and black flag was great. The inclusivity of the clash was arguably more important. Yes. Um, and I started kind of bunking the training going to London and discovered that there was an act. It wasn't just stuff that happened in 78 or, or 81 or whatever. There was an active underground hardcore punk scene in London based around household name records, the UKHC scene in the late 90s and and the barrier to entry was showing up. Yes. Because there were, partly because there were so few people yeah, who yeah, were yeah. interested, <laughs> but also because the whole point was it was inclusive and uh, this is a, um uh, a slightly, um, not the right time period, but it was it was a safe space almost, you know, yes. I mean? it was just kind of like, if you can find this place and you love it and you want to be part of it, then you're in. That's it. Done. And that was so important to me as a kid because I felt like I didn't fit with my school. I felt like I didn't fit with my family and all the rest of it. That was your home. Like, yeah. Yeah. These are my people. It yeah. was the first kind of sense of welcome and community i ever really had. And, um, and you know, over the years, my relationship with punk. Has changed enormously, and it's gone up and down. And there's certain people from the underground scene who loathe me because I've been successful or whatever it might be. But the, the, right in the middle of it, there is still that sense that it's a, it's my safe space kind of yeah. thing, and I will defend that until my dying breath. You know. <laughs> having said all that, the other thing that I do think though is that like if I'm having a conversation with somebody who with people who are quote unquote punks, then I am very critical of punk as a concept. But if I'm having a conversation with people who aren't, then I'm incredibly defensive. Right. It because, right. Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like it's mine <laughs>
0: shut up leave it alone um, well I, I, I love your missus' response to that and I think that's the one that I'm going to parrot now when people start talking to me about it as well I'm just going to say ultimately who cares <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally. but um Well, you mentioned that you've recently turned 40 and you've had an amazing career now for a long time as well. You've started right at the bottom. You've had amazing success, but I know that you've had a lot of struggles and stuff like that personally as well as through the journey of, you know, the arts and everything. Uh, I'm interested to know at this point in your life, I don't want to get too heavy at this early hour in the morning, are you aware of how this has changed you at all? Have you got any kind of midlife revelatory life lessons that you're particularly (laughs) unique? Because you've had a unique journey that most people don't get to experience. Most people don't get to travel the world and stuff, you know.
1: Yeah, that, that is, that, all of that side of things is true, of course. Um, and I've been very privileged to to travel and play music for a living. It's like I do it for free, don't die <laughs> um, uh, Like uh, so, there's that side of things. I mean, obviously, in terms of like having kind of issues and struggle. I mean, I think that's a pretty common human experience. Um, uh, I don't think that um, my journey's been any more dramatic than anybody else's on that level. Um, it's sorry i'm just getting a coffee delivered (laughs) by my bandmate gotta be done nice yeah yeah good work matthew you can you're hired for another week i'll I'll Um, take one as well please (laughs) Matt. Yeah, he wants one too. But, yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, um, but so I mean, I, I'm very hesitant to talk about lessons and all the rest of it, and and accrued uh, wisdom and all this kind of thing, because um, I still kind of like fall the like, step on rakes um, pretty regularly. Do you know what I mean? Just in in all possible readings of that statement. Um, uh, so you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I can stand here and say things like. Um, looking back on my career to date uh, that there have been the only regrets that I have and incidentally the whole like I've got no regrets thing is just like well then you aren't examining your life particularly right. of yeah. course I've got some regrets everybody does my regrets tend to be those thankfully very few moments when I haven't kind of trusted my gut instincts about my art 100% kind of thing. And, uh, you know I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this but there's a couple of music videos that i'm just like um, about to pick an example um and and like you know so it's, it's a long lesson it is the cliche that everybody tells you when you start out but uh, speaking now 20 years 25 years of music career it's true trust your gut do the right. things you believe in, right um because ultimately you will have to answer for your creative decisions for the rest of your life you know um and uh so so that's that's one thing I would say I resigned. And I guess the second thing I would say is that, like, and I wrote an entire record about this, so forgive me for quoting myself, but, like, ultimately I feel like over time people forget the content of your conversations and remember the tone of them more. Um, so, and I think that being kind and considerate and, and um, yeah, kind and considerate with your interactions with other people and gentle, Um, even if you disagree with them and all this kind of thing is really important to me I should ne- hasten to add at this point that I'm aware that there's a degree of privilege in putting it that way in the sense that there are people who are in situations where kindness and gentleness in their disagreements is a, is a ludicrous idea. And of course that's true. Um, and I'm not trying to... This is why I hesitate to answer your question is that I'm very <laughs> reticent to tell anybody else what to do. But for myself, like, I just think that like the older I get, the more I think back to... The things that trouble me are the times when I've been brittle and harsh and unforgiving and all these kinds of things, right. and I think that if I could change anything, I would go back and make myself more kind, basically. Um, uh, and and like as I say, that's not going kind to of apply to everybody in all situations. I don't think that um, uh, you know you should be kind to fascists or whatever to pick a clunkingly yes. obvious <laughs> yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. But but so so you know there are there are obvious kind of um, uh, different gradations to this. But on a, on my personal level on my journey through life i sort of even the people that i have fallen out with and disagreed with i could have been more considerate that's your philosophy
0: me. i love it yeah well i think your uh your reticence to answer that actually speaks volumes because i think you're you're right in that so i appreciate you sharing that um how do you feel about the uh the music industry you've, you've seen the transition from the old model to the <laughs> new any any thoughts on that
1: well, it's a funny thing that you say that because actually for my engagement with kind of like the, the above ground music industry, if you like, sort of began almost exactly at the point when everything started falling down and everyone started running Same. around screaming with their hair on fire. Yeah. So like, I don't, I, I, I sort of know about and grew up as a consumer of the music industry before the internet and before everything went nuts, but I never worked in that industry. Right. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so to a degree, I'm quite comfortable with the fact that the music industry is generally in some kind of panicky death. Spiral forever, and that <laughs> everyone thinks it's going to collapse next week. And they, you know, it's been like that the whole time I've been involved in it. Right. I always think in these conversations, it's crucial to say that music industry is two separate words and that I'm interested in the music and I necessarily engage in the business or the industry side of it. But ultimately, if I get to uh, make a living expressing myself, and indeed my band and my crew and get to make a living being part of that, then happy days and, yep. and quite the mechanics of the of the economics behind that uh, obviously there's something I have to pay attention to yeah. but I'm not I'm not that fussed secondary. in some ways yeah yeah, yeah it, exactly exactly secondary ha- having said everything I've just said I mean I do think that there's an inflection point in the structure of the industry is imminent um, I think that at the moment the music industry is very very um, obsessed with data um, and w- particularly you look at things like TikTok, which incidentally is the death harbinger of civilization and culture as a concept. <laughs> um, uh, but <laughs> Have you? I mean, have you been on TikTok? Of course, like, dude. I'm. A, I'm yes, as a, I know. I was addicted
0: to monkey videos as anybody else, Mike. Come on, I'm
1: human. But I mean, I, I, I got I got told to go and have a look at TikTok because they wanted me to get a TikTok account, which I did. And they were like, just spend a bit while on the account getting used to it. And I thought to myself, it's not the Western civilization and culture is about to collapse; is that it collapsed some time ago? Um, <laughs> hence TikTok. And this is the, yeah. Hence TikTok. Anyway, um, I mean, this is all ultimately the gripe of somebody who's too old to get it. Um, <laughs> Uh, but like, so it is interesting. There's a huge thing going on with ma- particularly the major labels are kind of obsessed with data and streaming and TikTok and all the rest of it. And it doesn't seem to me to translate into any meaningful, either economic or artistic activity. Uh, there's a sort of break in the logical chain there somewhere. Yes. And I don't think that the current sort of data mania is a particularly sustainable business model. I don't know. I, I'll in many ways, I don't really care. Um, you know, for my I, I, I have a different approach that I'm in, in, interested and engaged in. But, um yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the music industry has long been a uh, a slapping, congratulatory um cutthroat. All the things that Hunter S. Thompson said about it and yeah. all the rest. And you have to slightly engage with that realistically. Um uh, But it is what it is.
0: Well, speaking about what does matter, because we've got to let you go soon. You, in three days' time, you're hitting Hamburg in Germany and Cologne. Uh, you're doing a few dates in Germany, and then you're back in um, back in, on home turf, 21st of September in Reading. You're playing all through the UK, right the way through till October, and then you're back into Germany on, in November. So you are playing everywhere, man. You're doing Reading, Sheffield, Oxford, London, Nottingham, Birmingham, Cambridge, Norwich, Leeds, Glasgow, everywhere. Uh, or oh, you're playing Cardiff on the 12th of October at the Tramshire. So I'll be there yes, for that indeed. one because that's my hometown. Uh,
1: fantastic! Please do, yeah, yeah no, And the Tramshed is a great venue as well. Awesome! Um, I, I have the fortune of having done what I do for long enough now that quite often I know the venues we're playing better than the local crew do because I've been playing them since they were in school, um, <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, which is a lovely thing actually. And like, I'm, there's a lot of spots on this tour. I'm really excited to, to get back to Brixton Academy, Nottingham Rock City. Oh, my favorite! Uh, all that kind of thing.
0: Nottingham Rock City. City is my favourite venue in the UK to play
1: it is the only venue that I have tattooed on my arm so uh, oh sweet yeah. I love
0: that yeah man. well I've got a goldfish there ball go, from man. Rock City over there which I stole when I was there last well so. there you go <laughs> amazing good so work good work before we wrap up so what's next then? what's what's after that what have you got coming up now? Anything else that we need to know about? Or, or I mean, is it enough already to have a number one record and a, and a massive tour?
1: <laughs> I mean, I think briefly, like this record was an unusual one for me. It was sort of released at a point in time when touring was still up on bricks. Usually I tour through an album release. Um, you know, I'm starting to toy around with night writing new stuff, but this record was very much written to be played live. And the record has been out for more than six months. And this is the first UK tour for it. That's mental to me Um, so I guess my point is my intention is to keep touring this record for a while yet because I'm proud of it I think it's a good record and I want to keep trucking around the world Um, so there'll be that but then there'll be more records Um, I also recently released a side project record called Eating for Swimming which is uh Okay. What to say about that? It's a kind of deranged postmodernist deconstructivist electronic metal record. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Was that the most pretentious thing anyone's ever said on 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 here? That sounds like um, my, all, all my records. <laughs> well, there we go. There we go. So that's that's been out lately, which has been fun too. So yeah, just keep them busy,
0: basically amazing well the brilliant FTHC is out now and is available everywhere go out and buy a copy buy 10 copies and give them to your friends and let me tell you that if the life-affirming extravaganza that is a frank turner life show comes even remotely near your town go and grab a shitload of tickets and get out because it is the best thing you will ever experience frank thanks so much for stopping by to chat with us today i wish you nothing but the best thanks for everything you give us and long may you continue to shine
1: hey thank you so much man It's very kind of you and hopefully i'll see you in cardiff
0: i'll see you in tram cheers frank see you later. And just like that, he's gone. Well, there we go. Frank Turner, ladies and gentlemen, is here for him. What do you think of that? I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. There was loads of things I, I, you know, I would have asked more if we had more time, but I mean, you know, I think we managed to pack quite a lot into, uh, you know, the 20 odd minutes that we had there what a cool dude i got a lot of time for frank turner man you know not only do i genuinely believe he's one of the best songwriters of our times but um you know what a super intelligent articulate, and you know grounded guy that he is and also he's bang on you know he's he's on the right side of a lot of really important issues and he's very outspoken and supportive of a lot of important causes so yeah an all-around cool dude that deserves all of the success the hard-won success that he's spent so long building so big props to Frank Turner and, you know, really appreciate him giving us his time today as well. I know he's super busy. Um, check out his website at frank slash turner.com and go to the live page and check out where he's playing because he's literally playing as of about two days from broadcasting this episode tonight he'll be playing in germany and all over the uk and then back to germany and doubtless there'll be a ton more dates as well so check him out he he's on tour right now he's going to be coming to all the main spots around the uk if you can get a ticket i would not hang about get them because the live show is fantastic the dude's got so many good songs, man. Classics, you know what I mean? And like, I think at this point with nine albums, you know that every song that's squeezed into a setlist is going to be an absolute banger. So get out there. I will be at the, uh, the Cardiff show, which is on October the 12th at the Cardiff Tram Shed. So I shall see you there. And if you haven't yet heard the new album FTHC, man, just go and listen to it. You know, I'm going to get, I'm going to pick up a a copy on vinyl, I think, because, you know, I want to have the real deal. It's an absolutely incredible album. So many great storytelling songs on there. And nice to hear a return to like a heavier sound, which Frank does so well as well. So there's my plug. You know, got to keep the label happy. But, I mean, every damn word of it, I cannot get Haven't Been So Well out of my head. It's keeping me awake at night. <laughs> and there's so many good tunes in that record. And his lyrics, man, his lyrics are second to none. You know, when I, when I listen to, like, a Frank Turner record, I, I always have this overwhelming feeling of, hmm, okay, this is what a real songwriter sounds like. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just his storytelling and his wordplay and his lyricism. It, yeah, it's really second to none. So there we go. So I hope you enjoyed the chat. You know, maybe we'll get him on again for a longer chat when he's got a bit more time, if he ever gets more time. But, you know, I thought that was interesting, and I hope you did too. If you're in London this coming Saturday the 10th, I will be performing in Hyde Park with those pesky kids at Extinction Rebellion. So uh, come and say hello. I shall be there uh, playing some tunes off the new record Make Anger Great Again. And it'd be great to see you and have a little sing-along if you're in town. I think I'm on at about 3 o'clock. Um, but, you know, due to the nature of these kind of pop-up protest events, that could mean anything from <laughs> three o'clock till seven o'clock, you know what I mean? So, uh, but come along anyway to stand and be counted because it's a very important issue. As you know, Extinction Rebellion are people that I've been involved with on, on many events and I am a, a strident supporter of them. So they're doing a festival of resistance. It's going all weekend. Please do come along and show some solidarity and stand up be counted and support the cause. Because as they say, there is no music on a dead planet. Climate change is real, it's happening, and it's urgent. As always, I'm going to finish up by nagging you again to subscribe to the podcast. There are some awesome episodes coming up, truly incredible guests coming up. So hit that damn subscribe button and the follow button so that you get notified when these uh, episodes drop. Because as I said in the intro, I did miss last week and it's possible that I might be missing next week as well. So you can't rely at the moment on these drop in at seven o'clock every Wednesday because other things are going to take precedent because at the end of the day, I'm not just a podcaster. This is something I do on the side as well as being, you know, a professional musician myself. I'm supposed to be finishing my second book. I run a label. I go to the House of Lords. <laughs> you know, These are the, the sorts of things I do now. You know what I mean? so the podcasting is something that I love doing and it's great for me to uh, be able to share these uh, like really interesting conversations with really important dudes but at the moment I think and for the future you know obviously when I'm touring with a band and stuff I'd like to keep doing these but it it is going to be like pretty much impossible for me to to keep these regularly coming out at seven o'clock on a Wednesday. So I think if you want to know when these are dropping, you know, if you're not following me on social media, then the best thing to do is to subscribe to the podcast. So you get a notification bell when you, you know, you log into your Apple or your Spotify or your YouTube or whatever. And on a week when I do miss one, you know, please do go back through and listen to the previous episodes because there have been so many great conversations I've had with so many great people who've been kind enough to give me their time. So if you, you know, if you've missed a few episodes, then do go back and check those out because there's some great conversations there that I'm really proud to have been able to put out into the, uh, into the content space. As always, thanks for the support. Thanks for listening and I hope you're all well. Have an incredible week. Take care of yourself. Take care of others and go and check out FTHC, the new album by Frank Turner. It's a banger. Turn it up and you can thank me later and maybe I'll see you at one of the shows. Love you loads guys. Have an awesome week. I'll speak
1: to you soon. See ya.